We are in Luke chapter 2 this morning, so if you have a Bible, would you open it to Luke chapter 2? How many of you guys were here on Wednesday night? All right, so you guys got a head start because Pastor Michael uh, Rizzi took us through Luke 1, and we looked at uh, a really amazing passage. Another angel appears uh, prior to this section of Scripture, and we just see God doing miracles. Um, God is a miracle-working God, and he he still performs miracles. In fact, Jesus said, you'll go on to do greater things than I if you, if you have the faith of what? What do you say? A mustard seed. That's not a lot of faith. And so my prayer for us this morning is that as we read this text, as we look at this beautiful account of the birth of our Savior, that we would just be encouraged this morning, that we would be reminded of the hope that this season is supposed to bring, that this season is supposed to be about, uh, and how many of you guys have already, admittedly, you, you have no shame this morning, uh, I'm asking a lot of questions, some of you already hate it, uh, how many of you guys are, have already had to refocus like 10 times this season, because you're getting caught up in the hustle and the bustle, the rest of you are liars, um, so, <laughs> all right, so it is just easy to do that, it is easy to get caught up in everything that we need to accomplish, our work schedules, finances, bills to pay, uh, people to see, places to go, and it can just feel like an unending whirlwind, and then before you know it, it's 2020, and uh, if you're like me, you're like, how is, how is 2019 already over? Uh, I feel like it just started, but that is, they, they, everybody keeps telling me the older I get, the time's just going to keep going faster. Um, so I am in no hurry because I think it's true. Just in the last couple of years of, you know, getting married and, you know, I'm 26 now. So it's like, I remember when I was like 18, it was like, I couldn't just wait to be like off to college. And now if I, I would do anything to go back to college and not have to work and, uh, you know, just be hanging out with roommates all the time, going to in and out at two in the morning and, uh, you know, all that stuff. So it is just crazy how time flies. But this is such a beautiful account. So let's dive right into Luke chapter two, verse one. And this is the NASB. It says, Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor over Syria, and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Verse 4. Joseph also went up to Galilee from the city of Nazareth to Judea, uh, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the family of David. Verse 5. In order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And while they were there, the days were com completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for some people. No, for all people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born to you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with them a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, and you know it, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from there uh, back into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. 16. 
So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told to, the, to them by, uh, by the shepherds. And, but Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as it had been, it had been told to them. Such a cool story. Uh, and, you know, the, the culture now, if you read this story... What do people say? Okay, sure, right? It seems like, and this is not just our culture, this has been going on throughout history. Uh, this is how the enemy works. This is how our flesh uh, seems to operate. Doubt. Doubt and questioning right away. I thought this was interesting. I'm a history buff. I love history. Uh, it was my favorite classes in, in uh, high school and in college. Uh, I, was, I was a history nerd. I love history. I love reading about history. I love watching documentaries about history. Um, and so I found it so interesting that Luke, how many of you know that Luke was a physician? He was a doctor, okay? Uh, Luke was probably the smartest guy writing in Scripture. He was very educated. Him and Paul alike both had high educations. Um, Luke would have been very much uh, knowledgeable in the Greek language and was probably pretty broad-minded and uh, urban, and he was probably very much aware of his surroundings. He was very aware of historical events. He was a smart guy. And that's the author of our text this morning. I find comfort in this. Um, and I also think that it's interesting. Luke writes about a quarter of our New Testament and yet never mentions his name. I love that. Because I think Luke had this idea, and this isn't to discredit those who do list their names in Scripture, but I think it speaks to the posture of Luke's heart as he writes the Scripture. He just gets right into what God wants to relay to the people. Uh, he was a careful historian, both by his own admission in Luke chapter 1 and by the judgment of historians today. In fact, um, Luke has been examined, and upon a prominent archaeological uh, examination, Luke's references to over 32 countries, 54 cities, and nine islands throughout Scripture, he made no mistakes. So, you can go and look at other archaeological finds, historical documents, and you will see that this event actually happened. That is comforting to me. Because if I try to, and this is Apologetics 101, right? If I take Scripture and I shove it in somebody's face who does not acknowledge the Scriptures as the profound, holy, infallible Word of God, is that going to be very effective if I'm trying to, you know, debate something like a historical event? Somebody who doesn't see the Bible the way that I see it, I see it through now this, this, these new eyes that I've been given through Christ. But if I try to argue uh, and I just keep using the Bible, my argument can begin to diminish. And so in apologetics, we talk about this idea that we can take in other historical documents throughout history and what do they do with Scripture? Do they, do they contradict Scripture? No, they bolster the very thing in which we find hope this morning. So when you're reading your Bible, church, be confident and know that these events that we read about actually happened. 
And as we look at Luke's account, he's a doctor, a physician, he's well-educated, he's a historian, and he's saying, this is what happened. And I find great encouragement in that this morning, that my faith is built on logic, it's built on factual evidence, it's not resting on that, it rests in Jesus Christ, but I love the fact that our God has just sprinkled all this evidence throughout history and he's bolstered the scriptures, and he encourages the church in doing so as well. And so in Luke verse one, uh, two, chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, and that census was to be taken of all the inhabited earth. So right now in history, the Roman Empire is ruling and reigning uh, over the known world. So the Romans are expert killers, we will, we will know 33 years from this text approximately, Jesus himself will be crucified on a cross by Roman soldiers who are experts at killing. They had, they had mastered the art of torture and killing. They were a brutal people. And Augustus at this time was almost being revered by many as a lord of sorts, a savior to the people. But it wasn't because he had brought peace through uh, love and good deeds. He had brought this tyrannical uh, Hitler-type peace to the land. So it was not a peace that you were like buddy-buddy with Caesar Augustus. No, uh, he was killing people left and right, and that brought peace to the land, but it was not through good uh, means. Everybody with me here? So Caesar Augustus, is the, he's the emperor, and he calls for this. So he's the man in charge, and he calls for this census. And why does he call for the census? Taxes. Mm, we all love taxes, right? Has anybody ever stopped and looked at your paycheck before the taxes? And you're like, oh, I'd be so much better if I had these, right? And then God's like, you don't need money. Uh, you know, I, I have those moments all the time. I look at my paycheck and I'm like, wow, that's depressing. Somebody is getting all that money that I worked for. And how does that work? And so taxes are, have been evil from the very beginning because see, here they are. But I love that in this, in this account of Scripture, God is actually going to use this, this prideful man, Augustus, who calls for the census. God's working all things together for good. Because this is actually going to get Mary and Joseph to where they need to be so that the prophecy in Micah 5.2 comes to pass. Isn't that nuts? Years before, in Micah 5.2, the Scripture says that Bethlehem, this small little town that, that is, you know, thought of as not, could anything good come from Bethlehem or Nazareth? Micah prophesies that the Savior is going to be born, and then right at the time of Jesus' birth, the prideful Augustus calls for a census, and Joseph and Mary have to make the trek to where? To Bethlehem. And God is moving even through the means of a prideful ruler that's over the land. That also should be encouraging to you this morning. As we have all sorts of different opinions about politics in our culture, God works in spite of us, church. Whether we be good or bad, whether we think we're doing well or poorly, God has to work in spite of us anyways. I tell the team that when we come on stage all the time, we could be extremely prepared, extremely rehearsed, know all the songs left and right, backwards and forwards, and come out here and accomplish nothing if God's Spirit is not leading it. Because at that point, it is just a concert. 
It's a performance. But if God's spirit is leading it, now it is worship. Because we are allowing God to move in whatever way he wants to move. And so whatever powers may be in place, God is still sovereign. And God still has a plan that will be carried out. And we cannot stop him. We just sing about it. He cannot be stopped. Caesar Augustus was no match for Jesus Christ. And I love that. I also find this very interesting. Herod is called what? Do we remember? He's the king of the Jews. So we have a man in power right now who is sitting in the emperor's throne named Caesar Augustus who is revered as a savior. In fact, you can look at historical accounts and many times he's referred to as Caesar Augustus the Savior or Caesar Augustus the Lord of Lords. And then we have Herod over the King of the Jews is his title. And Jesus is born. And Jesus is Lord of Lords, Savior, and King of the Jews. Jesus is breaking all the barriers the moment he comes onto the earth. He's like, you think you're all that? I love it. Jesus doesn't pull any punches. God is so sovereign in this text because we have these prideful men in leadership. Now, this is not the same Herod that will be around when Jesus um, comes uh, to the cross some years later. Uh, There's multiple Herods. There's a familial line in the uh, ruling dictatorship here. So the king of the Jews so-called, is now going to be challenged because this baby, who is ultimately the king of the Jews, he's the king of kings. And Caesar Augustus, who has taken the name, and I'm sure he was not uh, reluctant to take the name, mind you, uh, as Lord of Lords and Savior over the land, they will be challenged as Jesus enters because the true king is going to be born. (laughs) I love it. And so Luke places in history uh, this text against the background of the Roman Empire. Augustus, highly revered, and the census is called, and this was the first enrollment made while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Okay, so we have a governor of Syria, we have uh, the emperor, and that's Augustus, and then we have Herod, who's king of the Jews. Okay, and so the purpose of this enrollment of the census was obviously for the taxes. We talked about the evil taxes. And so Jesus is born, and one ruler is titled king of the Jews, and the other one is savior of the world. And oh, how wrong they were. Luke chapter 2, verse 4. It says, Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the family of David in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to be married to him. And she was with child. So I just want to paint a picture for you here, church. This trek for Mary and Joseph, Mary is... Nine months or so pregnant. Uh, I don't know what that feels like, but I would imagine quite terrible. Just based off of things I've heard and seen. Okay, like I, I have Matt and Alicia up here and you guys are expecting soon and you guys are super excited. Are you comfortable all the time? Could you walk from here to San Diego? Okay, that's what Mary and Joseph did. 90 miles! That'd be like walking from here to San Diego. Nine months pregnant. If she was on a donkey, you can tell me all day she was on a donkey. That doesn't make it better. A donkey? Have you ever ridden a donkey? It is not this glorious, like, Lord of the Rings moment where you're on horseback 
Like that, we're talking a slow pace. For 90 miles, this would have been a difficult journey for the couple to make, and she's pregnant. And I think sometimes we miss that. Like, oh, it, I mean, this is one area where I'm like, I wonder why Luke didn't just throw that in there. Like, by the way, this was like 90 miles. It's so like cash in the text. Like, they just, they went up from Galilee to the city of Nazareth. That'd be like walking, he makes it sound like they're walking to like Norco. Like, no, they walked so far. And this would have been probably many days of a journey. So this was quite a task. And you can imagine there's a lot of like uproar and disturbance in the culture because all these people are being demanded and commanded to go and, and go to their hometown. So all the people that have moved to another place have to go and register for the census. So it's, there's a lot going on at this time in history. Verse 6. It says, while they were there, the day... The days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Okay, so this is an extremely familiar passage of Scripture. I'm sure all of us have heard there was no room in the inn. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Because the first thing that comes to my mind is like Motel 6. We'll leave the light on for you, right? (laughs) That's not at all, though, what the context is. In the original language, the inn would probably be Historians would gather on the average home that had animals, they would have a manger attached to the home, and they would use the manger for animal feeding, for animal storage at night, right? They would put the animal storage, that sounds really inhumane, animal keeping (laughs) shelter. So they'd put the animals in there, and that's like where they would keep them at night, that's where the, the feeding trough would be. And oftentimes, oftentimes, above that area, there would be like a loft of sorts, another room above that manger, and that would be an inn, if you will. It would be a guest room in the home, in the culture at this time. So if you had a guest come from out of town, you would would give them that room, that space. Still not that luxurious, uh, being right above the pooping, stinky animals, but nonetheless, it was a bed and a place to lay your head. So with the census going on, there's all these people coming back to their hometown. So Joseph probably expecting to find some sort of lodging because his family is from this area, finds no lodging because all of the space is taken. And so, yet again, a fulfillment of prophecy that they would be in the manger, in a lowly, dirty place, the king of kings would be born. There's such a sharp contrast between the ruler's currently in power, and the birth of Jesus. One falsely takes the name Lord of Lords and envies and and is jealous for this, this power, and he's prideful. And Herod, prideful in his ways, says, I'm the king of the Jews, and here's Jesus, the true king of the Jews, the true savior of the world, born where? In a luxurious palace on top of a hill? No born in a feeding trough amidst animals. Have you guys ever been to a barn with animals? There's lots of smells. You have to watch where you step. It's not not like this great place to hang out. You know, you don't just like go grab a soda and go sit in the barn with the animals. This is not something that you would have wanted to do, but it was what was available to the couple. And I 
I think of Jesus' words in Luke 9, 57. You can turn there if you'd like. Luke 9, 57. Jesus speaking to his disciples says, in verse 57 of chapter 9 of Luke, as they were walking along the road, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes and dens and birds of the air. Foxes have dens and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. There's this cost. Becoming human for Jesus was a sacrifice. It was not this luxurious road that Jesus was going to walk down. And what baffles me is that God, in this crazy, beyond my comprehension, this, this incarnation of God in human flesh, 100% man, 100% God. So that means that from the very moment Jesus is born, he takes on the attributes that a human would take. He has to learn how to walk. He has to learn how to eat. He has to learn how to speak. But yet he knows all that because he's the creator of the universe. So in his ability to know all things... He knows the cross is to come, right? So at the birth, Jesus is aware of the cross in his, in his godliness and in his humanity is like you and me when we're born. We have to learn things. And there's just this crazy tension in scripture, this crazy idea that I can't fully comprehend, but God did it because he's God. I wonder if the posture and the attitude of that person who gave them the manger would have been different had he known who Jesus was. Maybe he would have even given the couple his own bedroom for the night. But the best that they could find, I feel like the interaction was probably something like, please, we need lodging. My wife, she's about to give birth. Can you help us? And most people's response was no. No, no, we're, we're full. No, go away. And they finally find someone, and the best that they can do is the feeding trough is open. And I wonder if people's responses would have been different had they known that the very couple before them was holding, soon to be holding the Messiah himself. And I wonder this morning, do I do that? Do I miss Christ all around me? Do I become so caught up in my agenda and what I am trying to accomplish in my life that I lose sight of the very Savior standing before me, desiring to work in my life? And sometimes I think that I can be that very person who says, I don't have time for that right now. I'm busy. Lord, I... Maybe tomorrow I'll share the gospel, but right now I need my extra large mocha with extra whipped cream. Priorities, God. And we 